often in my sermons, we focus on specific stories or specific events in Scripture and take a more zoomed-in, magnified focus. But today, we are going to take a more more bird's-eye view. We are going to, within 25 minutes, soar across the entirety of Scripture, the entirety of Scripture, looking at the big picture story. We don't talk much about covenants in today's world, but we should. Covenants are one of the most important themes in all of the Bible. And I submit to you that they are the key, capital K-E-Y, to God's redemptive plan to restore humanity to its divine calling. Starting in Genesis, as Pastor Ellie mentioned this morning, God enters into one covenant. It starts there, but then as, as Scripture goes on, it's one covenant after another, after another, after another, after another, with various humans, with his goal to reach and rescue this sin-sick world. These divine-slash-human partnerships drive the narrative of Scripture forward until it reaches its climax in Christ. By now, it's abundantly clear just how much I like to talk about Jesus. And to tell the tale of God redeeming humanity through Jesus is to tell the whole story of God's covenantal relationship with humans. As Christians, we've all heard about and and probably talked plenty about having a personal relationship with God, a personal relationship with God, which can mean different things at different times in Scripture and to us as, as different people, Um, It it can mean God being like a friend, God being like a, a father, God being like a teacher to us. Yet there is one particular way the Bible talks about this relationship that is all over Scripture, but strangely, we don't talk about it as much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God partnership with God, the concept of working alongside God in order to accomplish a goal together. It's what we see from the start of the Bible, right? God creates this good world, beautiful, sinless, full of so much potential. And then God appoints humans as his partners in bringing more and more of that goodness out of all of that potential. God could rule the world all by himself, but he desires to share his rule and partner with humanity. And I believe that says a lot about the beautiful, welcoming character of God. But sadly, humans didn't want this partnership. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we are stuck in a world full of corruption and injustice and the tragedy that we know as death. Yet God desires to restore this partnership 
And the way he does this is through covenants. So to begin, we, we must ask this foundational question. What is a covenant? What is a covenant? A covenant is a relationship between two partners who make binding promises to each other and work together in order to reach a common goal. They're often accompanied by oaths, by signs, and by ceremonies. Covenants define obligations and commitments, but they are different from a contract because they are relational and they are personal. Think of a marriage. A couple chooses to enter into a formal relationship, binding themselves together to one another in lifelong faithfulness and devotion. They then work as partners to reach a common goal, like building a life or raising children. And when you're talking about a divine slash human covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments, certain obligations. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenantal relationship to renew his partnership with all of humanity, the entire world. Covenant relationships, they're found all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible, there are personal covenants between two individuals, like the one we find between David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 23. There are political covenants between two kings or nations, like the one we find between King Solomon and King Hiram in 1 Kings 5. And then there are legal covenants with a nation, such as the laws about freeing Hebrew slaves. And we could go on and on talking about these different types of covenants. But the fact is clear that entering into a covenant was a major part of what it meant to live in the ancient Near East. So God partnered with humans through a structure they already understood. He met them where they were. He spoke their language in their context. The covenantal story began when God created humans in his image to partner with him in spreading his goodness throughout the world. God invited Adam and Eve to be priest kings and represent his generous rule on earth. They could enjoy and reproduce blessings of eternal life as long as they continue to trust and partner with him. But as God is laying out the terms of this relationship, he warns them not to eat from a specific tree, right? You can eat from every tree in the garden except for the one specific tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in their first test of covenantal faithfulness, humanity fails. <laughs> Just a swing and a miss. And we'd still be stuck in, in this fiery wreckage with no hope if God hadn't intervened. And thankfully, he did intervene because the rest of the Bible story shows us just how important it is to God for him to repair his broken partnership with 
humanity. There are four foundational covenants that God makes in the Old Testament with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, and in connection with that, really, the the entire people of Israel, and then David, before eventually establishing something that the Bible refers to as a new covenant through Jesus. And we'll get to that one later on in the sermon. But first, we need to get an overview of these first four main Old Testament covenants. And the first one was made with Noah. It's known as the Noahic covenant. And if, if you're reading through the Bible from straight at the beginning, uh, after Adam and Eve's exile from Eden, it just looks really gloomy. I mean, things aren't just bad. They get progressively worse. It's really, really bad. And in Genesis 4, Cain sides with the serpent, killing his brother in cold blood. And then a man comes along named Lamech, and he's constantly bragging about his murderous and chauvinistic ways. And then in Genesis chapter 5, we see this refrain repeated, death, and, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died eight times that is repeated giving us the concept, helping us to to see the reality of how now with sin, death was reigning over humanity, front and center. And then there's that strange story in Genesis 6, and that's meant to show not just the advancement of evil, but the rapid advancement of evil. So by the time we arrive to the story of Noah, sin has enveloped the whole world. It's everywhere, and the the world, it seems as if it has unraveled into pre-creation chaos. It's not just bad, it's really bad. The earth is dirty. It needs a bath. And in response, God sends a flood, making way for a restored creation that will begin with Noah and his family. So God then enters into a formal relationship with Noah and all living creatures, promising that despite humanity's corruption, he will never flood the earth again. Genesis 9, 13, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And then God invites human partners with him in filling and ruling his world. God's covenant with Noah is unconditional, and his promise is accompanied with a sign of his faithfulness, right? The rainbow, the rainbow, to remind future generations of God's promise and just how beautiful it really is. And then in a less than shocking (laughs) turn of events, after God makes a covenant with Noah, evil arises again. And it continues to ruin the world. It just goes on and on and on and on. And it's like the, the enemy throws the bait and humans just take it hook, line, and sinker. Like they didn't even try to fight back against it. 
Genesis 9 through 11, it traces this second unraveling of humanity, and we're left to wonder, how will God restore this broken world? Thankfully, God's rescue plan continues. And he calls then a man named Abram, we know him now as Abraham, into a covenantal relationship. And this redemptive partnership between God and Abraham is developed progressively in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. And who remembers the two words I used in my sermon a few weeks ago to describe the covenant God made with Abraham? God promised Abraham what and what? Does anyone remember? Land and Descendants, thank you, right? That was the the gist of God's covenant with Abraham, land and descendants. I promise to give you land and descendants. He promises Abraham a huge family and that a godly people will inhabit a goodly land, which was Canaan, and bring universal blessing to all of humanity. Similar to the Noahic covenant, this covenant is also accompanied by an outward sign, an outward sign, a reminder to Abraham and his descendants. In Genesis 17, God commands the men to be circumcised as a symbol, as a sign to set Abraham and his family apart and to ultimately show that their fertility and their future were completely in God's hands, full trust in God. God tells Abraham to leave his land and follow wherever he leads, train his family to do what is right and just and practice circumcision in every generation. This covenant with Abraham is both conditional and unconditional. It's both. God and Abraham each have a part to play, but ultimately, Abraham's gonna fail on his end, but God will keep his promise to give Abraham a family who will inherit the land and bless the world. Land and descendants. And so if you want to dive a bit deeper into the beauty of this conditional yet unconditional covenant, Hop on YouTube and search out a sermon that I preached all the way back from June 1, 2019. June 1, 2019, which is entitled The Art of the Deal. I break down that covenant. But for now, we've got to move on to Exodus. The Mosaic Covenant. Now, this is the pro- probably the most talked about of those four Old Testament covenants. And we even spent some time talking about this just a few weeks ago. So much of this is just a quick review. Exodus opens with Abraham's offspring multiplying rapidly in Egypt, which threatens the new Pharaoh's ego, right? He he gets upset about it. He enslaves God's people. They cry out to God to rescue them. And Moses is sent because If you remember from a few weeks ago, my first sermon back from from camp meeting, God heard, God remembered, God looked, and God was concerned. So God uses Moses and Aaron to help set the Israelites free from their bondage. 
And after a harrowing escape, the people finally reach the foot of Mount Sinai, where God shows up to revisit the promises he made to Abraham. And acting as the representative for Israel, Moses climbs the mountain to hear the terms of God's covenant with the people. And God promises to make Israel into a holy kingdom of priests that will spread his blessings and his glory throughout the entire earth. Deuteronomy 28.1, it says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command to you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. In Deuteronomy 28, God instructed Israel to obey all the laws given at Mount Sinai, promising to bring blessings if they followed his command, but also telling them the reality that if you reject my commands, then curses will be your wage. Israel's allegiance to Yahweh will be outwardly reflected in how they live, namely by keeping the commandments, most notably by resting once a week on the Sabbath. And this is where we head towards the Davidic covenant. The people have numerous failures, and they, they wander through the wilderness for decades, but they eventually do reach the promised land of Canaan. And eventually, the people then demand a king. They want to be similar to the other nations. They demand a king. Saul is eventually anointed as Israel's king, but he fails to obey God and is eventually rejected. God then chooses David as king over Israel. And David becomes a successful leader, overcoming Israel's enemies and restoring order, and he wants to build a temple so that God can once again, like he did in the wilderness, dwell amongst his people. God responds to this desire by making a covenant with David, promising to make his name great and to raise up a descendant from David's line whose throne and kingdom will last forever, forever. David and his descendants must remain faithful to God, following his covenantal laws. However, despite David and his son's failures, mistakes, God keeps his promise, his end of the deal, to provide a faithful descendant through David to reign. And after God's covenant with David, as readers, we are left waiting for this great deliverer, the Messiah from David's line, who will make whole the broken relationship that began all the way back in Eden. And for generations, Israel ignored the terms of their covenant with Yahweh breaking his commandments, choosing to follow their own definitions of right and wrong. Amidst rebellion and exile, though, the Hebrew prophet spoke of a new covenant, 
saying that God would one day fulfill all of his promises, repairing his relationship with his people and blessing the nations of the entire earth through them. The new covenant is to be everlasting. God will write his law on the hearts of his people, bring complete forgiveness of sin and raise up a faithful king from the line of David who will restore all that has been broken. The anticipation of this covenant, it it pushes the story forward into the pages of the New Testament. And that's where we are introduced to Jesus. Dear friends, did you notice how the covenants progressively built upon one another, forming a beautiful, complete, redemptive storyline? God preserved the world through Noah, initiated redemption through Abraham, established the nation of Israel through Moses, promised an eternal shepherd king through David, and then fulfilled all of his covenants through Jesus. With each covenant, God promises and plans to save the world through the seed of the woman. This is going all the way back to Genesis chapter three. And, and, and this plan becomes clearer and clearer until we see that redemption can only come through King Jesus. We tried to enter into these covenants, tried to hold up our end of the bargains, but over and over and over, we failed and failed miserably. But Jesus is the covenantal climax. Jesus is who all of the Old Testament covenants point to. The New Testament authors present Jesus as the offspring of Abraham who trusted Yahweh, even to the point of death and then becoming a blessing to all the nations. He is the greater Moses, leading us all out of the bondage of sin. And he is the obedient Israelite who perfectly followed the law of God. He is the royal son of David who inaugurated God's kingdom in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and who now sits at the right hand of the Father as king forever. Jesus perfectly succeeded at every point where humanity failed. He is the guarantor and the mediator of the new covenant. Those old covenants were good, but the new covenant is better. Hebrews 8, 6, it says, but now Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. And now don't get me wrong here. It is not that God's promises weren't good. It was the people involved on the other end. It was us that could not hold up our promises. But now the covenant is between God the Father and Jesus become man. So there is still a divine slash human partnership here. But the human side is no longer weak. The human side is no longer going to fail. God did all this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we were all made to be but have failed at. 
And so through Jesus, God has now opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. Hebrews 9.15 says, And for this reason he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become a part of his new covenant family. And despite our failures, Jesus is committed to making us into partners who are becoming more and more faithful. In the new covenant, we receive the forgiveness of sins and God's empowering spirit to help us live lives of self-giving love, self-sacrificing love. Because of Jesus, we can live righteously and partner with him as he renews the world. The story of the Bible ends in Revelation 21, with a vision of a a, a fully renewed world full of goodness, full of peace. And there's, there's, there's an image of a renewed humanity there as well, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation, completed covenants, old and new. So the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning and we are all invited to be a part. Won't you accept God's new covenant? Won't you accept that partnership that is made perfect and kept perfect through Jesus? I hope so. I hope so, dear friends. Gonna have the benediction here in a second, but before we have our closing prayer, I want to invite Ellie Castagnon to come forward to stand at the foot of the steps as our elder in charge for today. And after the benediction, you who wish to be dismissed can do so. But if there's anybody here that has any specific needs, any specific requests, maybe something amazing has happened and you have a, a tremendous praise that you just want to share, you want to lift up to God, either Ellie or myself, we would love to chat with you and to pray with you, to lift your petition, to lift your praise up to the throne of grace. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God of covenants, that you are a God who keeps your end of the deal, that you are a God who is willing, like you did with Abraham, when your partner fails at their task, you will cover both ends. And Lord, we see that most assuredly, most clearly in the new covenant with Jesus. Lord, we don't always keep our word. Lord, we often make mistakes. But Lord, we thank you for that new covenant promise, that we are assured of it, that its foundations are firm, that it will never end. Lord, we want to be a part of that. And so, Lord, we come to you now as as, as broken, erring sinners in need of a Savior, believing that Jesus is that Savior we need. And so, Lord, we just want to give ourselves to you now. 
We wanna invite your spirit into our lives that you would fill us from the inside out and that you would use us as, as partners in your covenant to spread your goodness and your good news throughout this world. Lord, we look forward to that blessed second coming. Lord, we, we, we pray and, and we hope and we desire for it to be soon, but Lord, in the meantime, we pray that you would keep us close to your heart. And for whatever reason it is that you tarry, we know that it is because you have the good of mankind in your heart. Your, your intentions are good alone. And so Lord, if there's anything that we can do to help bring about your good pleasures, to bring about fulfillment of your prophetic utterings. Lord, we just give ourselves to you. Use us in whatever way you see fit as tools in your hand for righteousness sake. Lord, we give this all to you and, and we, we ask it all in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen.